You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Mark chapter 14, in the second week of our Easter series, going through the Gospel of Mark chapters 14, 15, and 16. Our series title is Truly You Are the Son of God. We are disciplining ourselves towards, listen carefully, delighting in Jesus. We are disciplining ourselves through the Word of God and the power of God's Spirit and in prayer to our God to delight in Jesus Christ. Again, as mentioned, this day marks Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of Holy Week. Um, The idea within Holy Week and the idea right now, church, is that we would set ourselves apart towards holiness in a new way this week. I challenge you, I encourage you, I challenge me, I encourage myself. How can this week look different than every other week in the last year? Here are some ways that you can set apart this holy week towards holiness. You can fast. You can fast from food. Highly recommend that. Gluttony, gluttony is one of the main reasons people don't have a fire for Jesus Christ. We are so hungry for physical food, there's no hunger for spiritual food. I'll just let that sit for a second. You can fast from entertainment. Entertainment, one of the very top reasons, there's little to no passion for Jesus Christ as well. You can fast from activities that too much time is being spent in. Fasting, powerful exhortation of making the next seven days, that's all we're doing. Seven days to be set apart to pursue Jesus Christ. These next seven days, pray more than you have in the last several months. Pray more. Call upon his name. Play worship songs and pray. This past week I developed a Good Friday prayer or music list to listen to, including this morning, to lead my heart to the cross. I don't want to have it just go by. This week, double down in devotion. Love to the uttermost. We just extended to you. The whole church doing it together every day. That's awesome. Every conversation you have, you could relate that to someone in your church family. Hey, did you see? Did you read? Set apart this, this next week as holy. Believe in God. We'll use that in your life and in this church. God help us. He's done so much for us. We do so little for him. Our prayer meetings this week, Tuesday 7 p.m., Thursday 7 p.m., I'm praying every spot will be filled. Please, God, call your people to pray. And our week of prayer in the slots, we can pray from home. You can go on a walk and pray. Pray and pray and pray. He is so worthy. We are so needy. As we start our Second message today, I want you to notice our beautiful series graphic here. There's some detail here that you probably did not notice. We have our title, of course, and our theme verse, but did you notice these four icons in the corners, which are symbolizing the four moves that we are making through Mark 14 to 16. Last week, powerful sermon in Mary, and the tears of worship and her adoration of anointing Jesus. Today, we see the cup of suffering as Jesus enters Gethsemane and agonizes over what is to come, and then 
this week in Good Friday, the crown of thorns leading to the cross of crucifixion. And then, of course, the symbol for the empty tomb where Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Four icons, four moves. Today we enter into understanding, unpacking this immensely powerful and important text detailing the cup of suffering, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a remarkable passage detailing the supernatural agony of our Savior. The verses we're about to read, you can't fully comprehend what's happening, but we will try with the Spirit's help. Our prayer today is that we would at least get to the outskirts of Gethsemane, at least to the outskirts, close enough to see our Savior and to hear His words. That's what we're praying for. Some of us are not even remotely close enough to see or hear, but I'm praying, God, God's Spirit, in this passage, we would be brought to the outskirts of Gethsemane to get a glimpse of Him on His face in prayer and to hear the words of His cries. That it might humble us and break us because our sin caused him to do that. Let's read our text and let us begin Mark 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I, notice while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Look at this, even to death. Even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground. Live in the text, church. Live in the text. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words again. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Our context is close to midnight on Thursday of Passion Week. It might even be past midnight. There's some, there's some discussion about that. Regardless, listen, think about it. Jesus is hours away from being crucified and he knows it. He's hours away. He's like from now until dinner time. He's that close to being crucified and he knows it. Jesus and the disciples, they have left the upper room. The Lord's Supper has been instituted. Jesus predicted all his disciples will flee from him. They all deny that, especially Peter. Peter doubles down. He says, I'll go to prison to you. I'll die for you. Then Jesus predicts that Peter would not only flee from him, but would deny him three times. 
They then enter into this garden called Gethsemane, a place they were familiar with. The other gospels tell us they went there often. That's why Judas knew where to find them to betray Jesus. Because a place, again, they often visited, Gethsemane. It is here that the formal instruction of Jesus is complete. And Jesus now turns and begins to contemplate what awaits him. This is a staggering event, this portrayal of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, listen, the perfect Son of God, begins to grasp becoming the sin-bearer of humanity. It is here that the agony of Jesus is so severe in the light of the wrath of God to come that in this text you could argue he almost begins or he almost dies from the stress that is induced upon his heart, life, and soul. Point one. The sorrow of our Savior, let me add this, thank Him. The sorrow of our Savior, thank Him. Verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, sit here while I pray. And He took with Him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. It's interesting that Jesus tells eight of his disciples to sit there and wait. But he takes the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. He does that a few times in the Gospels. He takes them with him. It is here that Jesus will give Peter, James, and John specifically a glimpse into his tremendous, unbelievable, turmoil, fantastic struggle and sorrow. And we get a glimpse of this in this text right now as well. In verse 33, the description of what happens to Jesus is nothing less than shocking. My translation, the ESV, it says in verse 33, he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. You can read that and you can be like, wow, okay. But the RSV kind of fills this out. The RSV says, horror and dismay came over him. So like greatly distressed and troubled, Mark uses the strongest available language right here in these verses. It's giving us insight into the true agony and anguish and suffering of our Savior Jesus Christ. It's here that the Bible and the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain on the psychological suffering, the spiritual suffering of Jesus Notice here, it's the psychological suffering, again, that almost kills Jesus. Even before his physical suffering, the spiritual weight, the spiritual suffering of what he's enduring before us in this passage. Again, if you want more clarity, look at verse 34. He says, my soul, Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Wow. Jesus here is so engulfed in grief. He's so completely overcome with sorrow. He's drowning in agony. He uses the phrase, even to death. The other Gospels fill this out for us, specifically Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel tells us that the weight and the agony that Jesus faced was so great that Luke's Gospel says that Jesus, again, the sweat of Jesus became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. 
His sweat became like great drops of blood. This can be explained medically when the capillaries, when the capillaries literally begin to explode from stress and cause blood to come through the pores of the skin. Imagine the scene. No wonder then Luke's gospel, right connected to these verses of his sweat becoming like blood, said that angels were sent to minister to Jesus. Why were they sent to minister to Jesus right here and right now? They didn't minister him when he's on the cross. They ministered to him in the garden because you could argue the stress he was under was so great. He was beginning to die, but it was not time for him to die. question now is why such horror? Why such anguish? The answer is that the perfect holy son of God was about to become sin. 2 Corinthians 5. He was about to become sin. He was staring at the very wrath of God about to be poured out on him as the object of punishment for us. The sin of all humanity, think about it, the punishment for such sin about to be placed on the perfect one, the one who was without sin, the one who has you know, eternally existed in perfect harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit, never knowing a trace of sin ever, perfect, and is about to stare in the very cup of all the sin in the history of the world placed upon him to suffer for us. Hence the anguish. Hence the agony. Hence the sorrow. Hence the severity. Hence the words describing for us the death he was feeling within himself. Crushing, crushing him with sorrow and grief. Of course, this massive truth was predicted 700 years before Jesus was even born in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 verses 3 and 4 prophesying of Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. A man of pains, it could be said. Acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. Look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. Jesus carried our sorrows. Bore our griefs. Carried our pain, our sorrows, our sin. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The anguish, the agony revealing itself in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's interesting, you know, the Bible never records Jesus as happy or laughing. Doesn't mean he didn't. It just doesn't record him as happy or laughing, it does record him as sad and weeping. The severity of what he came to do. Let me ask you a question so far going through this text. Hopefully eyes open with Gethsemane. Hopefully humbled by this. Hopefully feeling a fear of the Lord. Hopefully experiencing some reverence maybe in a fresh way by the Spirit of God. Do you think the Lord takes our sins seriously? Like do you think our sin matters to the Lord? Do you think the sin of humanity weighs heavy on Jesus Christ? Loved ones, understand this. The source of his sorrow in this text, the source of his anguish, the source of that which was literally causing him to die of grief 
The source of that sorrow is us, specifically our sin, your sin, my sin, our pride, our greed, our lust, our jealousy, our idolatry, our unforgiveness, our bitterness. This is what is causing Christ, again, to suffer in this way. It's so interesting to me that in verse 34, when Jesus says to the three, he says, remain here and watch. Remain here and watch. Jesus is instructing Peter, James, and John to be spiritually alert. But specifically, he's warning them, and us over time, he's warning them against indifference. Remain here and watch. Stay awake. Be alert. Do not become indifferent to the reality of what's happening around you. And he says to us today, church, do not, do not give in to the temptation of indifference to what Jesus Christ suffered and agonized over for you and I because our sin put him there. But we are tempted to indifference, aren't we? We are tempted towards indifference to Jesus Christ and his suffering on a daily basis. Why? Because our idolatry hardens our hearts. Our entertainment numbs our hearts. Our distraction blinds our spiritual eyes and our hearts. Our wealth robs us of love for Christ. Our wealth robs us of a true love for Christ. But today, consider the sorrow of our Savior. Consider the weight of his agony. And church, let us thank him. Let us thank him. My prayer right now is that we have moved from the other side of town. We have walked across the Kidron Valley. We are on the outskirts of Gethsemane, and we are close enough. We can see the Savior praying, we can hear his voice, and we'll continue to move closer to get a sense of the weight and the gravity of what had happened. Point number two, the desperation of our Savior. Let me add this, love him. The desperation of our Savior, love him. Verse 35, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now there's a reason that Gethsemane has been pondered and reverberated through all the centuries. I mean, just feel the weight of what's happening. I'm going to try to help you to do that right now. Verse 35, it says that Jesus went a little further. Luke's gospel literally explains it this way. He went a stone's throw away from Peter, James, and John. So notice, a stone's throw away. Far enough, he's on his own. Close enough, they can see and hear him. Verse 35, it says he fell to the ground and prayed. Live in the text. Mark here is using dramatic language to indicate the desperation of Jesus. Matthew's gospel says that he fell on his face and prayed. Luke's gospel says that he knelt down and prayed. You can put those together. There's a sequence, all the details that God's uh, word uh, paints for us and shows us. First, what Jesus did in his agony, he went to his knees to pray. From his knees, he fell on his face to pray. When he fell on his face, he went totally prostrate on the ground, demonstrating the urgency and desperation he was under. 
When a Jewish man normally prayed, he would pray standing with hands raised. For a Jewish man to pray like this, prostrate on his face on the ground, indicates supreme urgency and total desperation. Notice the vulnerability. Notice his honesty. Notice the transparency of our Savior who is God. Notice he says, if possible. This is the moment of the intense agony of Jesus. This is the moment when he, listen again, do not let this become like Passover. He's convulsing in horror. That's no exaggeration. He's convulsing with horror. Blood is forming on his brow through his sweat pores. He cries out in prayer. He cries out in prayer and tears. You say, well, how do we know that? Hebrews 5 verse 7. Hebrews 5 verse 7 indicating the prayers of the life of Jesus specifically right here in the garden. Look at this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. When's the last time we prayed with loud cries and tears? See, this is where I I want you to get close enough to the Garden of Gethsemane that you you can hear the loud cries of your Savior to his Father in his agony of what awaited him and close enough to the Garden of Gethsemane that you can hear the sobs of the tears rolling down his cheeks over what he was about to endure for you and me. Loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his, of his reverence. And what a scene. The desperation of our Savior Jesus then prays, look at verse 36, he then prays, in verse 36, he says, Abba, Father. Now a Jewish person, no Jewish person will call God Father, let alone Abba, meaning Papa or Daddy. It's just a wondrous look into the desperation of personal plea from Jesus to his Father in heaven. It's highlighting the eternal intimacy between them. Just imagine that. Papa. Father, Dad, Daddy, Father. We can't fully comprehend this moment, but we must try to understand more. He says, and praise, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He asks also to be removed from this hour. What's this hour? It's the hour of darkness. It's the hour of punishment. It's the hour of the judgment of God for for us on our behalf. He asks for the the cup to be removed. Lord, is there, Father, is is there any other way? And by the way, we should not be troubled by this prayer from Jesus. It's not like showing his weakness and that, He was scared or afraid. This is just his humanity. Jesus, fully God and fully man. 
What human being would not look at what was coming and start to understand and not wonder and ask if there's another way? But of course he ends with, yet not my will, but your will be done. This is the same awesome Savior, fully God and fully man. In a few minutes from our text, the soldiers will come to arrest him and they will ask, where is Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus will respond, I am he. They will fall back and land on the ground at the very voice that he speaks. The same Savior that when Peter takes a sword and strikes and cuts off Malchus's ear, Jesus will extend and heal his ear instantly. The same Savior before Pilate that will say, you have no authority unless this was given to you from a heaven from above. This is the same Savior in the garden. He says, do you not think I can call legions of angels to my defense? And yet here he says and asks, Father, is there, is there another way? Remove this cup from me. Why the, why the cup? What's the significance of the cup? First of all, it was the cup of sin. The cup of sin. Think of all the sin committed by humanity in one day of this world. In one day. Read the headlines. Covered with sin everywhere. The result and impact of sin. One day of humanity's sin, let alone all of history and the sin of humanity. Imagine the weight of that awful, horrific reality. This is the cup that Jesus must drink. All of human hate, human pride, human murder, human greed, human blasphemy, human lies, human sexual immorality, human envy, human bitterness, human destruction. This is the cup he must drink. It's the cup of sin. Now make it personal right now. Make it personal. This cup that he was about to drink was the cup of your sin in it. All your sin. All my sin in that cup. Make it personal. All your sin ever, past, present, future. Make it personal. Make it personal. We're seeing glorious day today and I just was reminded again as we're worshiping in that song, I remember the day I was saved. The wonder, the amazement, the astonishment, the forgiveness, the grace extended to me and the horrific things in my mind, the horrific sins I committed internally, externally. Every single one, every single sin, all the sins I commit today and in the future, all in the cup, he drank it all. And listen, make it personal. Jesus Christ loved us so much, he did not leave one drop left in that cup of sin. Not one drop. Not one drop of your sin did he leave in that cup. He drank it all. He drank it all. Make it personal. All your sin. Not one drop. Here, you drink the rest. No, not one drop left. For all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved by grace through faith. Astonishing. It was the cup of sin. It was also the cup of wrath. The Old Testament makes it clear this cup is the cup of wrath, the wrath of God, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25, 49, Ezekiel 22, Lamentations 4, Habakkuk 2, Zechariah chapter 12, all speak of the, the cup referring to the wrath of God. See, when Jesus becomes sin bearer, he becomes the object of the Father's wrath against sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus became a curse for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus became sin 
became sin for us. Again, we are so limited in our understanding. Lord, forgive us for that. The Holy Spirit, again, teach us, illuminate our minds. Humble us right now as we see just a little bit closer that when you stared into the cup that you had to drink, which is the reason you came ultimately, you looked into that cup and all of hell lived in there. So maybe you're like me and right now you repent. Because so often we hear these truths and we sing these songs, but we feel nothing. Forgive us, Lord. Hey, forgive us, Lord. So often we hear these truths and sing these songs and just all we're doing is looking forward to the next physical meal. Forgive us, Lord. You know, like, songs like this. Listen to this on the way to church today, this morning. This is well written. Oh, to see the pain written on your face. Now notice the pain that's coming is because he's bearing the awesome weight of sin. At this point, it's not the nails, it's not the crown of thorns, it's not the, the scourging, it's the it's the wrath of God. It's the weight of sin, the cup of sin, the cup of wrath. And what every bitter thought, every evil deed, that, that's us. That's us. Crowning your blood stayed proud. Oh, to see the pain written on your face. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Took the blame, bore the wrath. God, help us to feel Jesus Christ, help us to be moving towards brokenness. Help us to pray in such things. You notice when Jesus prays, he says, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup. He's, he's praying to his Father, but notice there's no answer. There's silence from heaven. The Father does not answer his Son. Why? Because there was no other way. The Son had to die. The Son had to die for you and for me. So silence from heaven. Can you fathom the love of the Father? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would make his only Son to save us wretches, right? That he would give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How deep the Father's love for us But Jesus here, resolute to do what his father wanted, he ends this section by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Love one, see what he endured. Love him. Love him. Love him. Drank the cup. Just by way of application right now, maybe can we just stop in this moment and all the issues that are happening in our society, all the things that are going on right now, can we just stop just for a few moments and stop complaining about our inconvenience? And can we thank the Lord Jesus Christ for drinking our cup of sin? Can we do that? Like, can we take a few moments and just stop complaining about our inconvenience? About the things we like and don't like, the things we wish would change or not change, or the way people... Can we just stop for a second thinking about ourselves and our own inconveniences of this temporal life? And can we just take a moment to thank Jesus Christ for drinking every last drop of our sin? 
And can we love him as a result? Can we do that? Again, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. This is what he deserves. And this is today what he calls from us at Hope Bible Church. To love him. Just like Mary, to adore him with tears of worship. The sorrow of our Savior, thank him. The desperation of our Savior, love him. And finally, the wisdom of our Savior, obey him. Verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? And then this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. One of the very clear themes through this text that we've read today is dependence through prayer. At least five times, prayer is either modeled by Jesus or commanded by Jesus. In this text alone, five times. Loved ones, please see again here, Jesus is in the midst of unspeakable trial and anguish. His response is prayer. Think about that, okay? The most intense anguish anyone's ever known Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, his response is prayer. The Son of God, the Holy One, the Great I Am, again, the one who speaks in a few moments, the soldiers fall backwards, the awesome King of Kings, his response is prayer and prayer and more prayer. He returns from prayer, he finds the disciples sleeping, his exhortation to them is prayer. For all the talk of the disciples, right, for all their pledging of support, they could not stay awake for one hour, they're no good. Their flesh is weak. Notice Jesus calls Peter Simon in this text. Jesus called Peter Simon when Peter reverted back to his old self. He says, verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing. The flesh is weak. For all the boasting of the disciples, again, no one more than Peter They were pretty much useless right here in this moment. Peter is also minutes away from the greatest failure of his life and one of the greatest failures in history, his denial of his Savior. He said he would never do. Why? Because the Spirit is willing. I will not deny you. The flesh is weak. I do not know him. Oh, but hear the wisdom and the command of Jesus for his disciples. Notice the simplicity and the power of his wisdom. Watch and pray. Be alert. Watch. Be alert. Be spiritually awake. Do not fall asleep. Do not slumber. Do not be indifferent. Do not become apathetic. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Why prayer? Because prayer is everything. It's prayer that accesses the power of God for our lives. It's prayer where we admit we do not have the power for this life. It's prayer that allows us to overcome the temptation for the sin and godless, godlessness around us. It's prayer that wakes us up from apathy and idolatry in the worldliness around us. Again, Jesus is experiencing the greatest anguish ever. His command out of that moment to us is watch and pray. Pray. That's his command. Because it's prayer that aligns us with God's will as we respond to God's will. It's prayer that declares we can't. It's prayer that says God must. 
It's prayer that turns cowardice into courage, that turns religiosity into vibrant relationship with God. It's prayer that turns legalism into love. It's prayer that turns boasting into brokenness. It's prayer that bends the ear of the Father. It's prayer that calls down the grace of God. It's prayer that fills our lives with the Holy Spirit of God. It's prayer that awakens us from slumber. It's prayer that wakes us up from apathy. Church, we must pray. I'm telling you, if there's anything we do at this time, if we start anywhere with anything, it's prayer and the ministry of the word. In the darkness of our day, we must pray. In the struggle to find our way, we must pray. In the face of being dismayed, we must pray. We pray for more prayer. Watch and pray, watch and pray. Here's what I know. I know so few truly pray. I know so few believers truly press into the Lord with prayer. I know so few believers show up for prayer meetings. So few. I know. Prayer's so weak among so many. I think it'll be one of the great regrets when this thing is done. How much opportunity we had to call upon in simplicity and power to the Lord and how little we utilized the very invitation to call upon him at all times and all ways in the spirit with all supplication and all prayers. I think it will be one of the great regrets how much we tried to do on our own strength and how much we failed to accomplish in God's strength. God forgive us. God make us a house of prayer. God make this temple a house of prayer. Hey, join me. I'm praying for more prayer. You can do that. God, I want to pray more. God, I'm praying for more prayer. Hey, join me in that. I think he answers that prayer. You can say that. It's all you got to say. God, I want to pray more. I want to pray more. Birth of me prayer. More prayer, God. More prayer. Two words. More prayer. Three words. More prayer, God. Four words. More prayer, please, God. More prayer. See what he does with that. See what he does with that this week. Watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation because the reality is he says this. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that so true in this room right now? So many willing spirits. There be a few people here that aren't willing, but the majority of you are willing. You're wanting, you're willing, like me, but you try in your own strength and you fail like I do. Because the spirit is willing, that's not enough, but the flesh is weak. The disciples were willing. Lord, we're with you the whole way. But their flesh is so weak, they fail. They all flee, they all flee Jesus in a matter of moments. They all abandon him. Spirits are willing, the flesh is weak. So many willing spirits right now in this room. But every single one of us is so weak in the flesh. Church, it's why we pray. It's why we pray. Prayer is the difference maker. Prayer is what accesses the strength of God. Prayer is what allows us to know the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is that which causes us to persevere and endure. Prayer uh, calls on the wisdom of God to make it through each day. Prayer. Watch and pray. That you may not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This week, we, today, we start a week of prayer. 
Tuesday and Thursday evening in person prayer. God, fill every spot. Please, Lord, would you fill every spot? People longing to pray. I pray every prayer slot will be filled out praying at home, praying on a walk, doing whatever. Pray, pray, and pray. To see the sorrow, the anguish of our Savior. To see what he wants to do within our church. What I want to do right now is I just want to give us a couple of moments, just maybe two or three minutes to pray. Pray through this text. I'm going to ask the worship team if you can hear me. You can come out now. And I just want us to take a posture of prayer. I'm going to ask Lindsay if you can just play quietly in the background and as the worship team comes up. And Cliff, maybe after like two or three minutes, we can just begin the last song, if we can do that. So let's just, let's just take a posture of prayer right now, church. Let's do that. Let's, let's bow our heads. Let's, let's bow low before the Lord. Let's, let's invite him. Just, just maybe two minutes right now. You pray to him. He says, watch and pray that you may not be led into temptation or fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, so we must pray. Yes, Lord, just in these moments here, sacred, use it, I pray.